In Romans chapter 8, we're going to read verses 31 down to verse 39. Try to get through these final verses in Romans 8. Romans 8, verse 31, it starts off there. Would you read it aloud with me? Stand one more time. <clears throat> We're going to read verses 31 down to verse 39. We'll read it together, <clears throat> starting in verse 31. Oh, thank you. Romans 8, 31, together. What shall we say to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It is God that justifieth. Who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died, yea, rather, that is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God, who also maketh intercession for us. Well, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword? As it is written, for thy sake we are killed all the day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. I told you Romans 8 is an awesome chapter. Greatest chapter for the Christian in the entire Bible is Romans chapter 8. Let's pray one more time. Father, we just read through, breezed through some of the greatest truths and promises um, uh, that maybe we'll, we'll ever hear this side of heaven, God. And I pray that this morning you would just help us to be gripped by them. I wish we understood them, but at least we need to let them have a, have a grip on our heart and on our, our, our life and on our, our discouragements, God. And let us know these things to not only be true, but to be real and to be our reality in spite of our circumstances. Lord, because... According to you, you're for us. According to you, we're more than conquerors. And if we would believe that God, the devil, would not have a grip, Lord, we'd be, Lord, we'd be the victors that you saved us to be. And I pray that you would bless and encourage everyone here. Thank you for the good Christmas play. Thank you that these children get to learn about somebody loving them, dying for them, and giving their life for them. Because nowhere, nowhere else are they going to get that. So I pray that you bless them. Bless our day, Lord, as we open up the word of God, open our hearts in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> All right. Now, it, if you haven't noticed, it seems like, where'd you go? This is not going good. It seems most everything is against God today. I mean, if you follow politics, culture, public opinion, you think that almost everything is against God, and it is. Uh, it's against biblical morality. I listen, modern, the modern age, the modern culture is against sanity. I mean, I, I can't tell you, they won't talk about it in the news very briefly, but the, uh, the mental health of people is going wacko and it's not because of the climate. It's because of what's coming in the sewer, uh, called the television and the, and, uh, the, uh, the media and stuff. And it's just racking people's heads. And it's affecting Christians. 
The music in this age hates God and Christians. The movies hate God and Christians. The language of people is filthy. And, the, and, and it's um, uh, colleges, universities hate God, Christianity, and the Bible. The attitude about most anything religious is negative. Have you noticed that? I mean, I, if you haven't noticed that, I don't know what rock you're under. Even the level of joy among Christians is pretty low. Because the world is not getting any better. You know, we base our joy based on in our life, based upon the temperature of the world around us. And if everything's going great at work, if everything's going great at home, if everything's going great, um, you know, in, 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 in culture and in the economy, we're happy. But when it doesn't go well and when the world is dark against the Bible and against Christ and against Christians, it affects us. It actually makes Christians think we're defeated. Uh, we've lost the battle, but God says just the opposite. I need you to see verse 37 again. Still in Romans chapter 8, verse 37, it says, Nay, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. I mean, that's, that's amazing. According to the Bible, we're not just, um, uh, we're not just more than conquerors. We're conquerors with God behind us. God is for us. We are, to be more than a conqueror means you're a victor. You're not even in the fight anymore. A conqueror is fighting to get to the victory. We're more than conquerors. We already have the victory. Say amen. By the way, don't get the wrong idea. God didn't change sides and get behind me and help me. I changed sides and got on his side. Amen. That's how I got God for me. So let's start back there in verse 31. Let's try to go through this summary <clears throat> as brief as we can. I wish I had four hours. I don't get depressed. I'm not going four hours. But Paul is about to summarize the greatest truths for the Christian ever written under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Look, and he asked some questions. Verse 31, he just asked, what are we going to say to these things? What shall we say to these things? And when he says these things, he's referring to all these great truths in Romans 8 so far. Look back in verse 1. Go back to Romans 8, verse 1. There is therefore now, next two words, say it real loud, no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, so on and so forth. Look in verse 2. The law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus hath made me what? I'm free from the law of sin and death. Uh, look down in verse 9. Verse 9. But you're not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If so, be the spirit of God dwell in you. Now, if any man have not the spirit of Christ, he's none of his. So you know how I know I'm saved? I've got another voice. I got to know another uh, influence than what the world has. If the Holy Spirit is leading, guiding. He's, he's pressurizing me. And that's a good thing. And that's, a, that's, that's, that's the thing that I get excited about. Look in verse 10. And if Christ, now we have the Holy Spirit and Christ, if he be in you, your body's dead because of sin, but the spirit is now your life because of righteousness. Jesus Christ is present in every battle you go through. Would you just, just in your head go, you know what? When I'm going through something, I am never alone. Jesus Christ opted to go through it with me. Look down there in verse 28, still in Romans chapter 8, verse 28. I'm just skipping over about 400 things, but in verse 28, we know that how many things? All things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the call according to his purpose. Everything's working together. <clears throat> um, verse 29 says, 
for whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate not to go to heaven, but to be conformed to the image of his son, to be like Jesus Christ, that he, Jesus, might be the firstborn among many brethren. He wants to have a big family. Moreover, whom he did predestinate, them he also called, and whom he called, them he also justified, whom he justified, them he also glorified. Folks, all of that process we talked about last week, all of that is the good stuff that Paul says there in verse 20, um, uh, verse 31. What are we going to say to these things? I mean, you talk about a mic drop. You talk about a moment where you just gobsmacked. What, what do we say to these things? If God be for us, we can say nothing except who can be against us. I mean, amen, nobody. When you start to see that the world is against us, but in reality, not really, because we've already won. Uh, th in this world, there are two realities. There's the one you feel and the one that is. And the one I feel is what somebody, how somebody treats me, uh, uh, my bank account. Uh, that's my reality. That's, that's how I feel. That's my current reality. But when I read my Bible, I realize an eternal reality that God is for me. Who can be against me? The trouble that I'm going through, the persecution I may experience, the tribulation I may be struggling to breathe in and trying to, try to get through is not going to be my end. Uh, no one and nothing can fight against a Christian and win. Amen. So when the devil comes at you and starts throwing stuff at you, just say, bring it on. I'm already a victor. I am more than a conqueror. Now, let me go back to verse. Let me keep going in verse 32 because he says these words. He says, look, at, let's, let's, what has God done for us? Let me read verse 32 to verse 34, and then we'll go back through it. He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all. How shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Who shall lay anything to the charge, like a criminal charge, uh, of God's elect? It is God that justifies. I can hear Paul almost screaming. Who is he that condemneth? Talking about condemning us. It is Christ that died, yea, rather that risen again, who is even at the right hand of God right now, making intercession for us. What has God done for us? Uh, he spared nothing to save us. To spare something is to hold it back and not give it because it's too important to you or more important. I mean, if Gleb came up and says, man, I'm starving. Can I have? Can I borrow some money to go to go to uh, Lidl's and, and get a sandwich or something, right? And I look at my wallet and I got two options. I got a fiver and I got a 50. Which one am I going to give him? <laughs> the one that's least important to me. I'll spare the 50 euro and hold on to that. Get you something for five euros. And then get a job, you know, is what I say to him. <laughs> but, you know, when God looked at me and he saw me in need and saw me destitute without hope, without him, God didn't look around and say, well, what do I not need? What can I give him that won't cost? He spared not his own son. You see that? That's what he thought of giving. When God's, listen, you talk about Christmas and giving. God already gave it all. You can't compete with that. He spared not his son. You know, somebody, I've heard of people in their family, they, uh, somebody gets very ill and they've got kidney failure. <clears throat> and then um, uh, they find out so-and-so um, uh, has the same blood type. And so they, they volunteered to donate a kidney. How many, you got a family member who's on, 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 
uh, in the hospital about to die, I'd gladly give a kidney to save them, but I wouldn't give my son. You see how far that goes? God gave his son. He spared not. That's what God did for us. He spared nothing to save sinners from hell. Verse 32 goes on. God has already given you everything. I mean, I know I get what I need, but one of these days I'm going to get what I didn't even know I wanted. Matthew 5, 5 says this. Don't go there. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. <laughs> Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, it says, we are unknown and yet we're well known. We're dying and yet behold, we live. We're chastened and yet not killed. Sorrowful and yet always rejoicing. Speaking only about Christians. I, you won't meet anybody else as schizophrenic as us. Because <laughs> we may be crying, but inside we're shouting. Sorrowful yet always rejoicing. As poor yet making many rich. As having nothing and yet possessing all things. Now, Paul, who didn't have two pennies to rub together, Jesus Christ, who didn't own anything more than one suit of clothes, were able to rejoice, were able to sing and, 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 and glorify God in the midst of having nothing because we have everything. Listen, if God didn't hold back on giving his son for us, there's nothing else he's going to hold back on. Romans 8, we're in Romans 8, look at verse 17. Well, look at verse 16. The Bible says this, the spirit, the Holy Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit. I mean, there's a communion going on. The Holy Spirit talks with our spirit and tells us that we are the, the children of God. So I just don't know if I'm saved. Well, you read that Bible. There ought to be a harmony in your heart of God says you're saved if you're born again. But if you constantly have doubts, I got to ask you, are you trusting Christ or are you trusting your own righteousness? Because there comes a day where the Holy Spirit says, you're okay, Ledbetter. Amen. Well, it makes me, it says, all right, if I'm a child of God, verse 17 says, and if children, then we're what? Now, uh, uh, an heir is somebody, somebody dies, and they leave you a lot of money. Well, let's see what the inheritance we get. Verse 17, if children, then heirs, we're heirs of? <laughs> That's a lot of stuff. And joint heirs with Christ. If so be we have suffered that we suffer with him. Don't you forget that God doesn't ask you to go through flowery beds of ease. He says, go through the valley. That we may also be glorified together with him. God's given you already everything. Uh, so what are you lacking? What do you think you have to have in order to be happy? What are you willing to fight someone for and argue with in order to get more property? A family. Some people, they got to have children. Some people have to have great wealth. Some people got to have a yacht. Some people have to have a house by the sea. Some people have to have the next iPhone. Maybe a Tesla or a Lexus. <laughs> Some people aren't happy unless they get something. You know what? When you got saved, it's already yours. It's just not in your pocket yet, but it's got your name on it. You know, a child... Growing up in a home, and I like these. There are some wealthy people out there that are kind of trying to do good. Uh, if I remember correctly, uh, some of these wealthy billionaires, one of them, I could tell you his name, one of them has a bunch of kids, and he gives them an allowance. Now, he's got billions of euros and dollars, but they get 50 cents for doing the dishes. <laughs> Amen. Don't give them 500 euros for doing the wear. 
I mean, that kid should work just like everybody else and not realize how wealthy he is until he gets old enough and until daddy dies off and hands it to him. But we are the same. We're wondering, God, what have you done for me lately? I want the money. And God says, you've got it all. It's just not in your pocket yet. Just keep going. And the suffering will be worth it all. Amen. God has given us all things already. Uh, Christ justified every believer. Sometimes we forget. Greatest gift God ever gave you was forgiveness. Those of you who have marital problems and have family problems, have people who won't talk to you and you won't talk to them, and you've not, you've not been with them for years, you know what a gift it'd be if they would ever come to you and say, you're forgiven. I'm sorry for holding a grudge for so long, and I love you and I want to be family again. You know the value of that. And when you realize the value of God Almighty, oh, holy God, looking at a sinner like me and saying, forgiven. <laughs> God did something for us when he forgave us. Amen. What has God done? He justified. He made criminals, wicked, sinful people, righteous. How did he do that? By making Jesus Christ condemned. It was unfair. It wasn't right, but it was love. <clears throat> you know, not all love makes sense. Amen. If you ever do fall in love, it won't make sense. <laughs> and the love of God does not make sense when it comes toward our way. And one of, the, one of the greatest things I want you to see, I wish I could spend a month on this. Verse, 30, um, uh, verse 34, who is he that condemneth us? It is Christ that died, yea, rather that is risen again, who is even right now at the right hand of God, who also maketh intercession for us now, a mediator stands between two enemies. Instead of keeping them apart, you know what a mediator does? Brings them together. You know, you've probably gotten between uh, two people fighting and just to say, "Go, go, go to that room. You go take a breather. S stop yelling at one another." And you you try to separate them. You know what a real mediator does? Gets the two of them both to understand each other and to forgive one another and sit down and become the best of friends. That's what Jesus Christ did for us, and that's what He keeps doing. Because we have an enemy who constantly keeps bringing up our sins before God. And he ever liveth, Hebrews 7.25 says, he is eternal, eternally living to make intercession for us, to mediate for us. He has a rock-solid grip on me. He defends my soul now against everything that comes against me. I don't care if it's earthly or demonic. Doesn't matter what comes against me. He's my defense. By the way, you better realize Mary never did that for you. No priest, bishop, pope, pastor, nobody can mediate between you and God. Somebody can introduce you to God, but Jesus Christ is the one that can bring you all the way to God, and the two of you become the best of family. And did it as a gift. So what are we up against? Verse 33 again. He goes on, what shall we say? What shall, who, sorry, who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect. Now, the first thing he says right there is there are serious criminal charges against Christians. You need to admit that you still sin against a whole holy God. You say, well, you know, I don't do anything. I don't do much wrong. I made a mistake, honey, last week when I yelled at you. Mistake? Um, you see, we start to think that, well, you know, as a Christian, I don't really sin that much. Well, that's what you thought before you got saved. Remember that? You need to still realize the devil knows you better than you'll admit. 
People throughout history have had this idea that religious people don't sin. And Christians think that. I thought that. When I got saved, I started to think, I started to believe that I was not going to sin anymore. Well, that didn't last very long. <laughs> I mean, what a come down. I mean, the eyes still look. The heart still acts and the, the mind still struggles and you're going, why? What are we up against? Charges and accusations that are usually right. See, I need you to hold your place here and go to Revelation chapter 12. Revelation, last book in your Bible, Revelation chapter 12 and verse 10. You know, you may have an evil neighbor and they always, they always ring up the county council about you. I don't know if you ever had anybody like that. You know, you kind of wish you could poison their water, you know, or something. But they're thinking of poisoning you, too, so don't worry about it. But you've got that person just always reporting on you. You know what the problem is? They're probably right. They probably are pointing out something that you aren't doing or aren't that, that, that's just wrong or whatever. But you have an accuser who doesn't have to make up stuff about us. He knows us. He's called the accuser of the brethren. Look at Revelation chapter 12 and verse 10. And I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, now is come salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ. Why? For the accuser of our brethren is cast down, which accused them before our God day and night. I don't know if you understand, but if you've ever had a little brother who always would go, Mommy, Johnny's over there and he's trying to get out the window. Mommy, uh, Sally's getting the, into the cookies again. Oh, you'd want to kill that kid. Shh, quiet, quiet. Here's a cookie. We hated when we had a little brother, a little sister that was a tattletale telling on us, you have a devil who knows what you're doing and goes right to God and says, did you see that? Did you see what Craig just did? Did you hear what he said? They don't have to make up anything coming before God. He brings up evidence. He's called the accuser of the brethren. And there are serious charges. We go back to Romans chapter 8. And the question is there, verse 33, who's going to lay anything to the charge of God's elect? Wow. Do you know, God is both the judge and the lawgiver, and he justifies a sinner. How does he do that? He is able to grant a full pardon because the judge stepped down from the bench and became just like the criminal and took the crime of the criminal and paid it himself and allowed the criminal to go free. Don't tell me that doesn't change somebody's attitude about God. Don't tell me that when somebody is granted a, a, a second chance in life, that it won't affect them for good. When, when, but when you see just how much in trouble you are with God, you appreciate the gift of God of forgiveness and of pardon. And now when the devil comes along and starts to point out how I'm not living holy and how I failed again and how I didn't treat somebody right and how I wasn't thinking right and talking right and looking right. I mean, the list is endless, amen. And when anybody lays a charge to the elect, and we'll talk about that in a second, guess what? Jesus Christ steps in and says, paid for. He says, shut up. <laughs> And the court is adjourned. Amen.
You ever heard of an acquittal? The evidence no longer exists. Christ died not only for my sins past, he died for my sins future. Isn't that awesome? So who's going to be able to bring a criminal charge? That's why I believe in eternal security, folks. Why I believe once saved, always saved. You got these religious uh, hustlers who try to make money off of Christians who can't settle whether, whether they're saved or not. You know what? I'm saved because God justified me, not my good works. And I don't care if I blow it day after day after day after day as a Christian trying to live godly. If I blow it, I can't lose it. Say amen. Because it's God that justifies. You can't argue with God. You can argue with me. You can argue with my wife. You can argue with my kids. They can point out things that are wrong in me. And I'll step up there and I'll go, I can add a few more. But God says, it's over. Amen. Wow. Now, who are the elect? Verse 33, <clears throat> he says there, the charge of God's elect. Well, the elect are just people who are in a special place of protection by God. How, you, how do you get in that place? Well, in the Old Testament, you had to be born a Jew <laughs> and you had to follow the God of the Jews. You want to be in a special place of protection. That's the elect. But if you want to be part of the elect today, you know what you do? You believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, the perfect Jew. You follow him, he gets you all the way to heaven because you are now in a special place of protection by God. And nobody's going to be able to bring a criminal charge against you no matter what you do. That doesn't mean you don't get in trouble with the law here. You can't use that verse from the guard to pull you over for speeding. <laughs> you can't bring a charge against God's elect. <laughs> yes, he can, but the devil can't. Amen? You see the difference? Because of Jesus Christ, the elect are both Jews and Gentiles. Amen. Believers. The second thing that we're up against is condemnations. Verse 34 says, who is he that condemneth? <clears throat> who can stand up and condemn a Christian now? It is Christ that was condemned. That's what the death is. That Christ that died. Yea, rather, that is risen again. He defeated death. Who is even at the right hand of God, who maketh intercession for us. As I said, the devil doesn't have to make up our sin list. All he does is expose us for who we are and what we are. We're guilty. Never forget that. I get people, I have had people say, I'm not a sinner. Really? Do you lie about other things? You sin, just like I do. Every apple tree, unless it's dead, produces apples. And every human alive is going to do wrong. And even though I'm saved, I should be doing less and less wrong. Amen. But vroom, I will fall. I will mess up. And somebody may be able to try and condemn me for it. You go ahead and try. My Bible says there is now, therefore, no condemnation, at least not by God. You see, when, when persecution comes along, whether by other Christians or by the devil himself, I am saved. I am forgiven. Someone took my place. Amen. Do you know what? No one can win a case against a born-again Christian in God's court because Jesus Christ never loses a case. He's your defense attorney. First John 2, 1 says, My little children, these things write unto you that you sin not. The Bible was written to help me not sin. Amen. But if any man sins, that's me. We have an advocate, a defense attorney with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. What a marvelous ministry Jesus Christ still has. He didn't just say, all right, Craig, you're forgiven. Now go on your way. Just don't blow it. No, he says, I better stay with Craig all the way through because he's going to blow it. Amen. 
Third thing that we have is serious life troubles and trauma. Look at verse 35. What are we up against? Somebody trying to separate us from the love of Christ. That's serious. Who's going to be able to do it? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? As it is written, for thy sake, quoting from Psalm 44, as, uh, for thy sake, we are killed all the day long. You ever hear about somebody say, oh, you're killing me. They got that from the Bible. We are killed, literally slaughtered as believers all the day long. We're accounted simply only as sheep headed to the slaughter. That's what God's people always have been. We've never had, listen, there have been times when Israel had some money. They had some prestige. They had some power. And boy, did they come crashing down afterwards. But you know what God's people have almost always had? Trouble. Life trouble, trauma. I mean, surrounded by enemies, um, uh, captivity, um, disaster. And Paul says, you better sit up and listen carefully. That what's going to separate us from the love of Christ? None of that will. You see, whoever told you that your life now that you're saved was going to be sweet, <laughs> lied to you. Life is not, just because you're saved, life has not just gotten better. For some, life gets harder. Because when the will of God takes you down a path that's the will of God, not your own will, it's usually going to be harder than you want to put up with. So he lists those things. He asks, shall tribulation, you ever had any serious trouble in your life? Tribulation is one of those things. It's not just the tribulation. All of us have tribulation, which is just deadly trouble. You ever had serious troubles in your life where you just didn't know what to do? How about distress? Isn't that a good word? Distress is another word for freaked out. You want a modern Bible? <laughs> That's a modern word. Distress. You ever been overwhelmed? Persecution. I don't think I don't think any one of us in this room have been hunted down and imprisoned and beaten just for following Jesus, but it may come. How about famine? Looking around, I don't think anybody's experienced that lately. <laughs> You ever lacked food or the money to buy food for weeks on end? Paul says, if you lost your job and you had no money for weeks on end, you couldn't even put together a meal, not even beans and toast, and you had a famine for several weeks, that does not mean that the love of Christ has gone away. You see that thing? How about nakedness? I mean, I don't see anybody here where the clothes are falling off of you because they're just they're the, you just don't have any more clothes or full of holes or whatever. Peril, those are deadly dangers, people trying to kill you. Paul said, I was in peril every day of my life ever since I got saved. There was one time they were hunting him in Damascus, and the brethren put him in a bread basket. That's kind of uncomfortable. <laughs> Opened up a window on the wall and led him 15 feet down the side of the wall so he could escape and get out from somebody from, from, from a group trying to kill him. He was in peril. Now, if you had people hunting you, you might be tempted to start thinking, where's God? Why isn't God helping me? Why is he allowing this to happen in my life? How about the sword? That's war. You ever been through a war? When I was growing up, uh, the Vietnam War was the big thing. I watched it every night on TV. And it kind of it, it kind of took over my thinking. I mean, uh, I dreamed about uh, uh, just the stuff that you see on television. I had nightmares of it. I was only watching on TV. Can you imagine 50% of this planet goes through war, folks, in their lifetime? 
And when war breaks out and your government falls apart and people are one side against another, civil war breaks out, you start to think God quit and God left. Abandon you. Modern Western Christians have no idea of what all this talk about. We live in a freedom given to us by Christian martyrs of the past. You have no idea. The freedom of holding a Bible in your hand in your language was paid for in blood. It wasn't voted on. Nobody in, in the Senate, the Senate, or the Dole, or, or Parliament voted to give people the right to have the Bible. People died so that we'd have the right to have that. So that we would open it up and it'd be in our language. We could read it and believe it and preach it freely. We take it for granted. Most Christians throughout history have experienced all of those things and above. The Apostle Paul experienced just about all of them in his life. <clears throat> I read that verse as we're troubled on every side and yet not distressed. We are perplexed. I like that because I live there. Yet not in despair. We're persecuted but not forsaken. We are cast down. That means kicked and punched and knocked down and yet not destroyed. You might think that those kind of disasters in your life will cause you to doubt Christ's love for you and his commitment to you, but none of them prove God's against you. Paul quotes from Psalm 44, and he reminds everybody Israel's always gone through that. Israel endured those things and are still the people of God and have never been abandoned by God. Job went through all of those things, distress. You talk about tribulation. You talk about loss, the, the, his, his own friends persecuting them, and yet God never abandoned him, did he? When you start reading your Bible for what it really says, it'll encourage you. Uh, you, um, you read the life stories of faithful men and women in history who suffered and died following Jesus, and it will thrill you and say, you know, I haven't had it so bad. And when you suffer for Christ's sake, you'll realize, so this is what sheep feel like when they're going to the slaughter. <laughs> so it doesn't matter if we experience terrible troubles in our life and distress and persecution, famine, nakedness, peril, or even the sore. Sore, you know what we are? We are more than conquerors. Look in verse 37. <clears throat> Nay, in all these things, in every one of these disasters, we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. And when he says more than conquer, what does he mean? Well, let me start off by saying when you got saved, your troubles didn't disappear or collapse when you got born again. And did you know when I pray and I say, Lord, my son has got spinal meningitis, heal him. And it doesn't happen. Not right away. Or when just something's wrong and you start to pray, God, help God, do something. And God doesn't seem to move on that. Troubles don't often disappear when we pray for them to go away. Now, the charismatics are people that they, I, man, I don't, I don't like them because they tell people that God doesn't want them to suffer. They tell people that God uh, doesn't want you to be in pain or to be poor or that all you need is faith and you'll be wealthy, healthy, and powerful, and that's a lie from hell. You know what? If you get in the will of God, you might just lose everything. Amen. Now, they can have all the money because it dies in the grave with them. Me, I've got riches that will never fade away. Amen? So our troubles, you say, how come I'm stuck in the middle of a rotten life, a rotten employment, a rotten marriage, a rotten um, uh, health? I've got everything rotten. 
just remember, you're more than a conqueror. This thing, these things are your circumstances, but they are not your life. I'll show you what I mean. We can conquer everything in life. Um, well, it, it, it simply means that we win in the end. Look at verse 28. Romans 8, 28 back there. We know that all things work together for good. To them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. When is everything going to turn out good? Not today. <laughs> I mean, you know, when my wife puts together a cake or a pie or dinner, it takes time. And she's putting together all these ingredients that I wouldn't want to be tasting. I wouldn't want to be using. And it all goes in there. I mean, there's some things just I, ugh. onion and me don't agree. But when she puts it in there and she does it right, I don't even know it. It makes it awesome. Amen. She puts garlic into stuff like, like I'm Italian. I don't know what it is. And I'm going, don't do it. But then when it's cooked, it's like, wow, amen. It just takes time. And God's putting together some things. I want you to see what you're going through does not have to be de uh, defeated now. It is already defeated in God's time. Watch this. For the Christian... Whatever we've lost in this life, we will conquer back one day. We were going to take back every inch of ground that we've lost to the devil and more. I want you to understand, whatever you've lost in this life, Jesus says, if you've lost um, a husband, lost a wife, you've lost children, you've lost a job, you've lost a house, you, whatever you've lost, Jesus Christ is going to make it up to you 100-fold. Did you, did you not see that? You see, some people want it now. I'll take it later because the now, moth and rust corrupts. But later, it never fades. For the Christian, even though we die, guess what doesn't win? Death doesn't win over a Christian. Even though we get cancer, cancer cannot win over a Christian. Amen. War cannot defeat a Christian. Famine, poverty, divorce, abandonment, imprisonment, any disaster and all disasters. None of them win over a believer in the end. Our enemies cannot win. You know what? The world will stand over a martyred Christian and say, what a wasted life. Died for a God he couldn't see. Huh. But an angel stands over that same body and says, what an offering. And that martyred Christian stands in heaven and says, what a privilege. You ponder those three statements. What a waste. That's what the world thinks. The angel says, what a gift to God. And that Christian who just had to give his life somewhere because he wasn't going to give up on the Bible truths and wasn't going to go along with the world, like throughout history, Christians have been tortured to do. One day stand before God and say, what a privilege to serve and to be, to be count, to count worthy to suffer for your name. <laughs> True Christians thrive under pressure. You know what I've noticed? I read this statement. Christians are being lulled into apostasy. You know what apostasy don't you, is, don't you? It means you go away from Christ. You go away from the Bible. You're more into the world. Christians turning their back is like a, a husband. Apostatizing would be a husband leaving his wife for another woman. And there are Christians who are leaving, living, leaving a close relationship with Jesus Christ and their walk with God and their time in the word for the world and for lust and for sin. That's called apostasy. You know how you get there? Money. You know how to get there? Too much time on your hands. 
Christians are being lulled into apostasy, but never has a true Bible-believing Christian been persecuted into apostasy. Because when a trouble hits a Christian, a real Christian shines. How do we win? We win because of the unfailing help of God. I, I don't have any super strength. I didn't have it before I got saved. I don't have any after. I just have Christ. He's my life now. He's my shield. He's my defense. He's my strength. You need to believe this. You know, I was thinking about this, and I thought the disciples are in a boat. The boat's sinking. They've been sent by the command of Jesus Christ to go across the Sea of Galilee, and they're sinking. I mean, they didn't just they say, hey, let's go do this for fun. No, they go into a storm and their boat is about to go under. They're going to drown. And Jesus Christ is not rowing on a boat. Jesus Christ is not swimming on the sea. Jesus Christ is not back on the beach looking at them, talking to them. He's walking on it. You know why he's doing that? It's not, it's not to tell us so that we can all walk on the sea, but to say he's conquered our storm. And you may not be able to walk on the scene now, but he's there and he'll carry you all. And he does. When he gets in the boat, it says immediately. They're probably two or three miles away from the coast. And immediately, like a speedboat, they got right to the shore. He's able to get you home. And just, just the idea of him walking on the storm, the water didn't go calm under his feet. As he walked on the sea, the sea is still going up and down and he's riding it like a trampoline. <laughs> And he's walking it, and he's coming. No wonder they were freaked out. But he said, be of good courage. Be not afraid. Be of good cheer, man. I'm here. <laughs> and the point is there, if you're in my care, you're also more than a conqueror. You cannot die. You cannot fail. You cannot sink. <clears throat> so when are you going to start praying like a victor? When are you going to start praying like believing that you've already won? When are you going to start praying like a conqueror, like a believer? When are you going to start facing your troubles, believing they're only for a short time and they do not win? When are you start going to read in your Bible like a roadmap to victory instead of immersing yourself in the news and the YouTubes and the politics that only discourage? I mean, I read the news for about 60 seconds, <laughs> but I read my Bible because I need to be encouraged, amen, that the un failing help of God is there. So Paul says these words in verse 38 and 39, for I am persuaded, I love those words, that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. This is an absolute confidence. He is fully convinced, solidly convinced of eternal security. Go to 2 Timothy. You're in Romans. Go to the right. 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 12. 2 Timothy. To get to Hebrews, you've gone too far. 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 12. <clears throat> Look at verse 11. Start there. 2 Timothy 1 11. Whereunto I am appointed a preacher. Sounds good. 
Preacher, you must have a really easy life. Why don't you spend a couple of days with me? I'm appointed to be a preacher, Paul says, and an apostle even, and a teacher of the Gentiles. Sounds so good. Oh, you have a cushy job, Pastor Ledbetter. Really? Paul, you must, you must ride around in chariots pulled by the greatest horses. No, verse 12. For the which cause I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I'm not ashamed of my calling. I'm not ashamed of my life. I'm not ashamed of my Savior. For I know whom I have believed. And I am, what's the next word? That's a strong word. It means I've been convinced that he is able to keep, hold on to that which I've committed unto him against that day. Whatever day comes, he's got a hold of me and not going to let go. I am persuaded. He has been logically, carefully, scripturally convinced of one final great truth. And the truth is that nothing can separate a believer from the love of Christ. You know, when, when Jonah tried to get away from God, got in that boat, God put it in that storm. And then Jonah got them to throw him off that ship because the ship is sinking. Throw him off the ship, and he thought he was finally free from God, going to die. And God said, uh, you. He called a whale up, and he swallowed him whole. And Jonah couldn't get away from God. And then Jonah's sitting there for three days and three nights, rotting in um, hydrochloric acid there before he finally gives up and he says, okay, salvations of the Lord. You want me to do this? I'll go preach, but I won't enjoy it. <laughs> and God pushed him and pushed him to go to Nineveh and he preaches to Nineveh, doesn't he? You know, through all of that thing, God was not being mean to Jonah. In the big scheme of things, God was loving Ninevites, but God loved Jonah. God could have let Jonah just go off and die. But when you don't let someone just go off and die, you love them. If you've ever met anybody who says, I just wish I could die, what do you immediately do? No, no, no. Your kids need you. I need you. Don't, don't even think about that. Out of love, you inter intervene, don't you? And with God, yes, put him in the whale's belly. Yes, put him in a sinking ship. We'll just put him in the middle of a storm. Yes, when God sometimes puts you down a very dark valley, it's not that he doesn't love you. And the greatest truth is, that's a gift of God, and he's going to go through it with you. Isaiah there, Isaiah, I think it's 42, it says, When thou passest through the waters and through the floods, I will be with you. Through the fire, I will go with you. See, God's not going to save us from the trouble, but boy, he's going to get us through it. Nothing can separate us from that. There is nothing, even my bad attitude. Jonah had the worst attitude. I'm not going to enjoy this. Even with a bad attitude, God says, I still love you, Jonah. You're still, you could have been known as the greatest prophet of the Old Testament, dude. God loved Jonah. And the point is this. Did I say this? I better hold on that for a second. Nothing can separate us, believe it or not. Death. You think, how would you like to die? I mean, if I said plane crash, would you go, oh, no. <laughs> how about drowning? No. How about a car crash? How about cancer? How about old age? Oh, yes, okay. I don't think any death is good. But you know, when there's death, that doesn't, that's not a proof of the separation from God, and God didn't leave you even at that moment. And nothing happened in your life, good or bad, can get you out of God's love. Angels, good and bad ones, can't affect your relationship with God. Principalities and powers, those are demons. Things present, 
nothing going on right now. And I like the next words, things to come. You know what? There's stuff down the pike we don't know about. Not even Charles Schwab knows about. Bill Gates can't even figure out all this stuff. There is dark, demonic, wicked stuff coming down the road at Christians, much less also the rest of the world. And whatever's to come, you know what I say? Bring it. <laughs> Bring it on. You say, well, well, Pastor, we got to worry about this. We do not. We need to make our voice known. We need, yes, get involved when they're starting to influence three-year-olds and five-year-olds and six-year-olds with transgender ideology. You get involved. But I do not worry because we're already a victor. I pray like I'm a victor. I get involved like I've already conquered. Amen. You got to change your view so that you're not living in terror every day and every night. There's nothing that can separate a believer from Christ. Things to come, there's nothing in the future. Heights, I like that. I mean, I think one of these days they're going to find alien life out there. They're, they're, they're talking to us. <laughs> you know, the Christian's going to go, we're almost out of here because they're not aliens, they're demons. <clears throat> That's all written in the Bible. Depths, any other creature. You know what? When they start, they're already messing around with genetic modifications. They're, they're priming everybody for alien invasions, ghosts and demons and bugs and diseases, vaccines and drugs. You know what they're doing? They're trying to scare everybody. A Christian is not scared. Amen? There are things you do. There are things you take care of. There are things you make sure are, are, are right. But you do not fear. Because Paul says you are a victor over death and life. And it's all because of him who loved us. Think about that. I'm able to stand up here and say whatever the devil throws at me, and I don't want him to throw anything at me. I don't like disaster. I don't think for a moment I've got full confidence like Paul did, but I want to say like Paul, I am persuaded it's not going to be the end. I am persuaded that God is for me, and that I am more than a conqueror through him that loved me. The power to endure and win is not in us. Let me finish. It's in Jesus. You have to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. It's going to hold you together. If you think that by coming to church, this church is going to make you have a good week, you're wrong. But if you get up in the morning, you open your Bible, and you open your heart before God, and you plead, for his help, and you claim the blood of Jesus Christ, and you ask him to walk with you as you walk with him, I guarantee you, you'll have a great day. In spite of getting fired, in spite of the car not working, amen. It comes by a relationship with Jesus Christ. Come back here. Joan Bocher was an English Anabaptist burned at the stake for heresy during the reign of King Henry VII. She got in trouble in 1540 during the reign of King Henry VIII when she began to distribute among the ladies in the court a New Testament written by William Tyndale. She was so enamored by the Bible and the English language, she started to sneak it into the palace and give it to the ladies in the court and teach them to read and show them the gospel. She was charged with heresy in 1543 because they contradicted the Roman Catholic Church in the Protestant orthodoxy of the day. The charges were dropped because King Henry VIII liked her. He liked a lot of women. And he got the charges dropped. But in 1548, the next year after King Henry VIII dies, 
a group of bishops, I'm sorry, no, King Henry VII died, but in 1548, a group of bishops headed by this guy named Archbishop of Canterbury, Thomas Cranmer, he was forced to examine her because everybody told him he had to, and he passed a sentence of excommunication and handed her over to civil authority for eternal punishment by fire. And after Cranmer, Cranmer and others unsuccessfully attempted for over a year to persuade her to recant and to give up her desire to give Bibles away and to have a Bible of her own in the English language, and for her to preach the simple gospel of Jesus Christ and him alone instead of the church and instead of the sacraments. If she would just give up that, she could walk free. And she said, never. And he looked at her and he said, you got to die. And she walked up to that stake and she put her arms behind her and they tied her up there. And without an argument, without a fight, she stood there as they lit the, the bottom of that, that pyre and they burned her alive. That's somebody who's fully persuaded, amen? Another Anabaptist named John Lambert. Lambert was also burned at the stake in 1538 for the heresy of not baptizing his son. John Lambert was a great man of God, great preacher, because it was a law that you had to baptize your son into the Catholic Church. When he said, I find in the Bible no law to baptize my children, they will get baptized when they believe when they're ready and when they understand the gospel and they burn them alive. You know why he was willing to go through that and stand? I mean, I know people who, if they came up and says, you're going to die if you don't do this. Oh, tell me what I got to do. No persuasion. Paul was firmly persuaded. I hope you are too. So who's all this promise for? Let me, let me give you a, a repetition. Romans 8, 28 says, we know that all things work together for good. Verse 31, what shall we say to these things? Verse 32, he that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all. Verse 34, he maketh intercession for us. 35, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Verse 36, we are killed all the day long. We are accounted as sheep to the slaughter. Verse 37, and all these things, we are more than conquerors. Verse 39, who shall separate us from the love of God? These were not written about everyone, but only those who have been born of the Spirit of God. It's called being born again. Those who are led by the Spirit of God, follow the life of Jesus, who are seeking to be filled by the Spirit of God. I got a, here's a personal note. I spend 20 hours every week studying this Bible, trying to make these truths clear and obvious and understood to everyone in this room, knowing That most of you don't take half of what I say seriously and have no personal walk with Christ. I know it. You don't have to tell me. I know the struggle you have. You got a busy schedule just like I do. You got problems coming at you. You got everything pulling you in 47 different directions. I know how hard it is to have time. I worked a job and taught and preached and picked up kids for Sunday school and I know what it's like raising a family, being busy in the ministry, but I have to have a personal walk with God and I have to have a believing faith in this word or, in this word, or else I'm going to go insane. Amen? This book is a blessing and a, and a strength to the Christian because whew, we discover that we're more than conquerors. We sing in prisons like Paul did, amen? 
We give when we have nothing left. We preach even though people surround us and hate us. We gladly give our lives to people who only see us as a bother. Because God spared not his own son for me. How can I spare my life for his will? Have you been persuaded yet? Have you? You've been persuaded to humble yourself and admit you can't be righteous. You can't be good. You can't be holy. You need to admit that. And then number two, you need to cry out to God and ask him to save you for Jesus' sake. All you got to do is ask. Isn't that funny? All you got to do is ask. God didn't make it so hard. You got to, if you just want him, you say, what do I say? It's not the words. It's the choice. Do you have any desire to know Jesus Christ and to follow him? Then tell him. And then ask him to teach you how to live like a conqueror instead of like a loser. Amen. Agrippa was almost persuaded by the preaching of the Apostle Paul, but he missed a chance to be saved and is in hell right now wishing he had another chance. Christmas is about receiving gifts as much as giving them. Have you received the only gift that matters, and that's the gift of the Son of God for you? You can invite him into your heart. You can do it today. Stand with me and bow in prayer. Let's pray. Father, in the quiet of this moment, we covered a lot of ground. And I'm asking you, God, that these words would haunt us, that we don't know them, that we never ponder, that we never believe them. We love John 3.16. Amen, amen, amen. But wow, is God really for us? Or are not all the troubles in my life prove he's against me? The persecution, the separation, constant attempted, the disasters. Seems like I'm a failure, God, so much. But if I'm saved, and if I'm following Jesus Christ, nothing's going to win. I'm already a winner if I just trust it, if I just believed it, because you gave it. It's not what I'm working up in my head and my heart. It's what I'm believing that you finished for me. And it's given as a gift to every person in this room. I wish it was taken today by somebody. And I wish it was believed by every Christian. Nothing can separate us from love. We have no reason to doubt the love of Christ for us forever. And we can now live so that somebody else knows it. So that somebody else gets it. And if it costs us our life, it didn't cost us anything. We get it back a hundredfold. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's grab our hymnal. Go to